uh, one of our fellow Westland churches, and they're actually, this is their launch Sunday. This morning, 10 o'clock, they launch. So um, uh, that's a church downtown, and, uh, um, I, you know, they're kind of wide open to anybody, but specifically uh, connecting and attracting to, to young folks uh, downtown. So uh, we're excited about that. And I'm just going to take a moment to pray for them. I mean, they're already going. They're an hour into their service, but we'll pray for it uh, anyway. So would you, uh, would you join me, and you can pray where you're at. Father, I just want to lift up Greensboro United Church, and we thank you for the launch this morning. Uh, we thank you for their, their vision and their passion uh, to, to reach people and to grow people in your name. So I want to pray for Spencer and for Jordan this morning uh, as they are uh, providing the leadership to launch that church. And we pray for blessings that would come out of it, and we look forward to hearing testimonies in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I'll let you, uh, ask you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. We're starting a series today that, um, I have to tell you, I don't really even know what the end date for this series is because we want to really walk through the entire book of John and we want to talk about the person of Jesus Christ. Um, Tommy Boggs, is it a name you're familiar with? Tommy Boggs. No? I can't believe it. Tommy Boggs was my favorite pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. When I was like somewhere around kindergarten age or so, this is my favorite guy. I mean, when I would play in the driveway and I would use chalk to draw on the the driveway, the lineups of the teams that I was pretending to be, Tommy Boggs was always the starting pitcher for the Braves when we were playing my, against, you know, my invisible teammates. And so this was the guy. Now, uh, I have to be honest with you, uh, Tommy Boggs only won 20 games in a nine-year career. Um, He lost 44 games. Uh, he had an earn, uh, earn run average of 4.22. That means every time he went out, he averaged giving up about four and a half runs uh, a game. So we're not talking about the upper echelon of major league pitchers and certainly not a Hall of Famer, but for me, he was my favorite. Now, we moved to California when I was seven, and even in that new little garage where I pretended to play uh, against an imaginary opponent, Tommy Boggs would remain the starting pitcher for me for years, even after he was traded away to the Texas Rangers. Why? Well, in second grade, the Atlanta Braves kind of sent their players out to different elementary schools, and my elementary school happened to be the school that Tommy Boggs came. And we all assembled in the cafeteria kind of area, and we had one of those little uh, programs that you have in elementary school, and we got to meet, and I got to shake hands with, at least at the time, or high-five something with Tommy Boggs. So that stuck. And that even to this day, ever so often, like if I'm reading something and that name pops up like in Braves history or something like that, like there's a different feeling about that picture than any of the other ones. Why? Because I met him, right? I met him. Like, I had the opportunity to stand in a line with a bunch of other second graders and, uh, and shake a hand, which was probably, I don't know, about two seconds long. But for whatever reason, there was this feeling, like, I know him. Like, I know that guy. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, Tom, you don't know that guy any more than some guy you just passed on the street yesterday driving through your car that you hardly looked up to look at. Um, And the truth is you're probably right. Um, Other than knowing his stats that are available online, I really don't know Tommy Boggs at all. But I think I do. I mean, I kind of feel like I do. I met him, right? I want to tell you this morning as we launch into this series, that right there what I described— is the struggle and problem 
if we're not careful for a lot of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. Like, I know Jesus. I, I mean, I met him one time. I remember that time I met him, like I was at this camp and it was an amazing experience and I went forward and I said a prayer. Or there was that Sunday morning where it was so impactful. Or there was that friend who's been walking me through something they explained to me who Jesus was. I I met him. I remember. It was a great moment. But then we confuse having met him with knowing him. And just like Tommy Bostrom, I've never even been face-to-face in the same room, maybe the same zip code with the guy again in my life. Um, but yet I hang on to that idea of knowing him because I met him. One of the greatest dangers for us as Christians is to hang on to the meeting and call that the knowing of Jesus as well. So I've got a couple goals in this series, all right, as we walk through it. Uh, my goal number one is that you would come and I would come to know Jesus Like, to know him in a a much deeper, richer way than we might have known him. Like, if you're like, man, that kind of nails it for me. I met him, but I don't really know him. Then my goal for you would be like, at the end of the day, I know him. Like, I know who the person of Jesus is. That's goal number one. The second one is this. I would love if you would love your Bible in this series. Like, Like, if your Bible would become central to your life in this series. If we're not careful, the Bible can just be an accessory to our lives. Kind of like we look in the closet and go, huh, I wonder what I'm going to wear today. You know, okay, I'll wear that, but what am I going to wear with it? You know, um, I, I mean, for me, that takes all of about three and a half seconds to do. But, uh, but for some of you, maybe you take longer in the accessorizing. I don't want God's Word to be an accessory to our Christian life. I want it to be a key main focus. I once heard it said by a speaker that the, the will of God, the Word of God is the will of God in your life. That's how vital the Word of God is. So, uh, goal number two is that we would love our Bible. Obviously, we're encouraging you, therefore, to like, bring your Bible along. Let this small time on Sunday mor- morning maybe help build the habit of having God's Word open and, uh, and with us. And so, uh, that's, that's our goal, to know Jesus, to love God's Word over the course of this series. Now, we're going to be looking at the book of John through the entire school year. So the school year, like, just kicked off, right? It just started. And we're going to be looking the entire year at the different passages, and they all focus on Jesus. Now, you might know the Gospels. Let me give you just a quick overview. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the four Gospels that we have in God's Word. Now, you might have heard every once in a while, like, Newsweek will pop up, you know, something like the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Judas, those type of things. These are books that were written at different times, usually in the 3rd, 4th, 5th century down the road. They threw the word gospel on it, and it confuses. But they've long been rejected by the canon of Scripture and by, by, you know, over church history. So when we look and we say the gospels, we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The four gospels we find in the Holy Bible. Now, they're different. They're not the same, yet they all talk about the same guy. They talk about Jesus Christ. But Matthew, in his gospel, it's a little lengthy. Matthew says, you know what? I want all the Jewish people out there, all those Jewish people I've interacted with, I want you to know that this Jewish guy named Jesus is actually the Jewish Messiah that we read about in our Jewish scriptures. And that's his focus the whole time. And so when you read Matthew, the book of Matthew, you might find a ton of Old Testament stuff mixed in that's talking about 
the Hebrews and the Jewish people and the customs and the history that led up to that. There's even genealogy in there that traces um, the ancestry of the Jewish people. That would make sense. Mark, on the other hand, is traveling with Peter, and he is writing a gospel. And guess what Peter, if you remember Peter's dream, he was sent to preach God's word to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. So it makes sense that John's gospel, or excuse me, John Mark, Mark's gospel is a little shorter, and he leaves out a lot of the Jewish stuff that a non-Jewish person would not understand. And he shares this gospel about Jesus Christ for a Gentile to get. Then Luke comes along, and Luke says, here's what I'm going to do is, I want to I write something that's like a history book. Like, like it's straight, legit history here, all right? And so what, what Luke decided to do is, is, I'm going to be a historian, and I'm going to write it to this guy named Theophilus, all right, this Roman official, and I'm going to write it to him telling this Roman official about who Jesus Christ is. Because a Roman official, high up, governor status, uh, a Roman official would have been like, I, I keep hearing about this guy. All I know is it's caused a little bit of trouble in the kingdom here. I don't really know who he is. And Luke's going to spell it out in what he calls an orderly account. And he writes this gospel, which is the gospel of Luke. Then we get John. And if by now you can tell that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had a little bit of order to their Gospels. In fact, those three are called the Synoptic Gospels. They follow kind of a chronology and how they're laid out. And they kind of picked an audience on who they're writing to. So it would make sense what they wrote. John says, I don't care about any of that. I just want anyone that reads this to know Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I want you to be able to declare that by the time you're done reading my Gospels, that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you grow up Jewish, great. Right here in Jerusalem, great. If you're part of like the, the Jews who were spread and scattered, the diaspora, if you remember that from history class, that were spread all over the place, um, and you're Jewish Christians, I want you to know Jesus. You're right on. Jesus is the most. But if you're out there and like you're a Jewish person and you haven't claimed Jesus yet, I want to make sure you understand who we're talking about. But guess what? If you are not a Jew and you have no idea this stuff, I want you to know who Jesus is and what it means to be son of God. And so he writes, and he's across the board. Guess what else John doesn't care about? Chronology. So if you're one that, like, you have to follow a timeline, you're like, you know, hey, it's got to go, you know, boom, boom, boom. John, John's going to baffle you uh, here because John will jump all over the place. In fact, there's some stories in John which show up kind of at the beginning of the book that show up at the end of the book of Luke. And you'll be like, well, I don't understand. Did this happen at the beginning or did this happen at the end? Um, probably safer to go with Matthew, Mark, and Luke's chronology. John has a message for you. He's wanting you to hear something about Jesus and specifically about Jesus being the Son of God. So this was written about AD 90, okay? So first century, and it was probably the last of these four Gospels that was put together and circulated around. Um, and when I say last, we're talking about about a 25-year period here. But probably by about 90 AD, this book was complete, and it was in circulation about at that point. That's your brief introduction. Now, if you're like uh, one that you really like research, you're a historian, you like those kind of stuff, you want to know like context setting, authorship, all those kind of stuff, um, I want to encourage you like 
either jump into, uh, maybe at the beginning of your Bible, there's a little bit of extra help to read, or, or just do some Googling online, like context of John, gospel of John, things, things like that, and there'll be a lot of good stuff for you to look at. Um, but for the sake of our, our time this morning and getting through these first few verses, uh, let's take a, a jump forward and take a look, actually, at the book of John. So, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And this, if you've been around the church world, somewhat famous passage. Let me read it from the New Living Translation. It goes like this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this summer, um, I had the, the opportunity, really, it was a huge blessing to lead this uh, six-week Bible study at my house. Um, and and uh, over that course of time, we looked at the book of John, and we looked at a few of these passages. And um, that's really what helped prompt the idea of wanting to get in here and expound and, and talk to the whole church about this. So this verse, we spent a bit of time on, and maybe you've been in Bible studies where you've spent some time on it as well. And what's interesting that you know right away is that John, <clears throat> he starts the very first verse of his gospel talking about Jesus without using the name of Jesus. He uses this other word. It's word. Now, if you grew up, um, you know, in the 80s or early 90s, and you actually went around using the slang word, word, you know, that's not what he's talking about at all. So, Brian, no, that's not what we're talking about. Um, He's actually talking about Jesus, but he uses this word, word, instead. So this word, just like you just read it, word, is what he calls Jesus. Capital W is what, you know, the editor of the Bible is is using here, so you understand it's a proper name. It's actually a Greek word, and the word is logos. That's the Greek word that's used in there. Now, here's actually what this word logos means. Um, It says, (laughs) it is the rational principle guiding the universe and making life coherent. That's what the definition of the word logos is. So, Word, logos, means the rational principle guiding the universe. This is what makes life coherent, makes life understandable. So this is not a word like, like when John is writing the gospel, he didn't just create this word out of air. This is a word that the people already knew in their context. In fact, if you were a Greek person, a non-Jewish person, you would have actually, logos would have meant exactly what I said, but it also would have been um, a word that was seminal meaning, um, yes, just what you just thought there, like semen, uh, meaning creation. Like there was a creative implement to this word. It was the essence of life, the creation essence of life. That's what the word logos meant here. That would have been circulating in Greek society. Like in Jewish society, they, they, they read it just a little bit different, but the same. It was the, the matter of life, the stuff of life. What we might refer to sometimes like, I love with all my heart, all my essence, my, all my centeredness. That's how a Jewish person would have understood this word logos. So you can see they both had an understanding and a definition. They were very similar, but not perfectly the same. But the word, the definition, it makes life coherent. It's the stuff of life. So here is John taking a word that was already in existence. He is hijacking that word to describe Jesus Christ. 
Now think about his audience. It's a pretty wide audience here. He has a lot of Greek people, non-Jewish people. I mean, they, I, care, I could care less about this Jesus uh, character here. Or I haven't really even heard much about him. It's come through the grapevine, but I don't really know who he is. Or you've had Jewish people who have rejected. I've heard about this Jesus. You know, I don't want to hear any more about this. Kind of, and then you have some people that have said yes to Jesus. So here John is saying, kind of in his brilliance, I'm going to launch into this. And in just a minute, you're going to see, I'm going to make this person I'm talking about sound so intriguing that you're going to want to go, huh, that's interesting. Uh, Who is it again you're talking about? And so we're going to find for this first chapter here, half of the first chapter of of John 1, John doesn't go to, to say Jesus yet. He doesn't jump into son of God yet. It'd be like I'd say this. Hey, I want to tell you about this, this buddy of mine. I mean, this guy's pretty awesome, all right? And I just started launching into a description of this person. Um, you know, I said, hey, he's, he's, I mean, he's a high point police officer. Um, you know, he, uh, uh, he runs this big fitness thing every year. I've been a part of it a couple years. I hope he never asked me again because it's really hard to do. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got, a pre- he's got a pretty cool family. And, I, you know, I have seen at times, like, the way he looks at his son. And I'm like, man, that's a dad that loves his son. Um, I've seen him cry over his son, you know, this big, tough police officer. Like, and I would draw you into the story, right? And at the end, I'd say, hey, I'm talking about my friend Al over here. Um, I don't know. Maybe you thought Al was, uh, you know, was a, you know, I don't know, what, <laughs> fill in the word. You know, and I had to draw you back in to say, no, 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 he's a good, he's a great guy. And I told you a story, and at the end I said, that's Al. That's what John's doing here. He is drawing his audience in, and the very first word he says is this logos word, which they understood, this, this coherency of life, this essence of life, this in the Greek sense, like this birthing of life. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he's saying already. Let me just ask you for a second. Do you see Jesus that way? Like, when you think about Jesus, do you see him that way? Like, like, I mean, do you see him that in your life? Do you go like, man, he is the logos. He is the, co- the coherency of life, the it of life. Like, the, the birth of all I am, that is Jesus in me. That's what John is saying. That's how he's introducing Jesus at the very beginning here. And he's wanting you to know this is not just another dude. This is Messiah. He's going to get to this. This is Son of God. He'll get to that title too. But right now, he wants you to understand how significant Jesus is without even saying the name of Jesus yet. Let's look on and and, uh, uh, take a look at verses 4 through 9, if we jump ahead just just a little bit here. Um, In verse 4, says this, the word, Logos here, Jesus he's talking about. He just hasn't used Jesus' name yet. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Now, the word Logos had a creative element anyway, so it would make sense here now that John's linking him to creation and being with God at creation. But then he throws this in, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So he goes from life to light right away. Now, you might know there there was this, uh, if you've been around the church world a long time, um, there was this old light and life gospel hour. Do any of you remember that radio program? Went for years and years and years. In fact, when I was at a free Methodist church, we called a lot of our churches light and life churches. Um, 
and that gospel, it was actually still going on as soon as about eight years ago. Um, so that's, you may remember that title. Well, it comes from this passage, Light and Life, here. John talks about light, and he introduces this to his audience as he's talking here. And I'm wondering, like, like what is it about light that made that important that John wanted to jump into that at the very beginning here? Like, like what was it in light that he wanted his audience to know that this person, this logos I'm talking about, guess what? He was the light that came into the world, and the darkness could not extinguish that light. Why would John want his audience right away to take uh, knowledge of that? Well, we have to take a, a look back in some, some Old Testament passages. You remember at Christmas time, and we've talked about this in the past, there's this, there's this verse in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6, says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Are you familiar with that verse? We sing about it and those type of things at Christmas time. Season's coming up pretty soon. And the question is, uh, what is it they need counsel from? What is it going on that that is such a celebration and declaration that the Son is coming? Well, we're going to tie this back into John in just a moment. But if you actually look a little further back in chapter 8, Verse 19, I'll read it to you. It says this, Someone may say to you, this is Isaiah writing, Let's ask the medians and and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and their mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Shouldn't the living seek guidance? Or should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instruction and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the what? In the dark. They'll go from one place to another, weary and hungry. Because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look to heaven and down at the earth, but whatever they look, wherever they look, there will be trouble, anguish, and what? Dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. You got to understand that the people of God at this, at this time, 400 years prior to what we just read, about John. 400 years, they were entering a dark, dark time. And there would be these, 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 uh, a war that would rage after this, captivity that would happen after this. There would be this, a political alliance that would happen after this that would just go, go south. And the people actually were living in this darkness that Isaiah is talking about. And it would last this 400-year period. In fact, we know it also as the years of silence, it's often called because we don't see this revelation or prophetic word from God come in this 400-year period. That's what they're living in. That went all the way up to the time of the Roman Empire taking over their land, and now it's the Romans that rule. They don't rule themselves, these Jewish people. It's the Romans who rule them. They would look and say, we're living in this time of darkness. But here's the hope in, in Isaiah Chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. So it'd be like this. Let's say you just went through something traumatic in your life, right? Traumatic. Like somebody close to you died in a car wreck. Uh, You went through something traumatic. Firing of your job or losing your job. Something traumatic. Like right now, uh, there are people that are going through stuff traumatic. Probably millions down in Florida. As, as that storm rages over, when it's done and they finally can get back down, they're going to look at it and go, oh my word, 
They're going to feel that traumatic event in their life. It'd be like if I took the words of Isaiah here and I said to you, hey, I know this is terrible. I know what you're looking at and what you're feeling, what you're going through is horrible. Your day of darkness will not last forever. Hang in there. Your day of darkness will not last. That's what Isaiah is saying. And then he leaves them. And they hang on to that for 400 years. That's rough. I mean, if I'm making it an afternoon dealing with something tough, you know, sometimes I'm whining and complaining. But it just became part of their culture to live in dark times. That's what's happening. But what does Isaiah say? A child will come. A a child will be born. Take a look at what he says in in chapter, uh, verse 2, chapter 9. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Why? Verse 6, for unto us a child is born and a son is given. And the years went. 400 of them went. And then John, writing about Jesus at the very beginning of his gospel, wanting you to know that, like, hey, there's this new essence of life. There's this person on essence life. And guess what? He's the light of the world. And guess what? All of you uh, Jewish believers, all of you Jews that have rejected Jesus, guess what? Do you remember Isaiah chapter 9? They wouldn't have known him in chapters at the time. That was kind of editors later on. But do you remember the book of Isaiah? Do you remember living in darkness? Do you remember the promise of Isaiah that the, the darkness will end one day? And do you remember when Isaiah said why it would end? Because a child would be born? Guess what? I'm about to introduce you to him. I'm about to tell you who this is. Can you see the brilliance of John here? What he is saying here is, without telling you Jesus Christ yet, I'm going to draw you into the story. And I want to make the story matter to you now. And then I'm going to tell you who I'm talking about. That's what John is doing here at the very beginning. And so he uses this light metaphor to say this is the light of the world. His life was light to everyone. The light shines in what? The darkness that they had experienced as part of their culture for 400 years. And guess what can't extinguish? The light cannot be extinguished in the darkness. That, excuse me, that's what John is saying. And that's what he's introducing them to right away on who Jesus Christ is. And I wonder for you this morning, like, if you thought about Jesus, your, your relationship with Jesus, like, would you say, man, he is my light? Like, anytime darkness enters my world, uh, anytime there's a struggle, traumatic event maybe, or a depressive time, anytime darkness tries to sneak his way in, like, I just let Jesus shine, and he is the light of my world. Now, don't get me wrong here. Um, we are not saying that you just like throw on a big fake smile and walk down the streets saying to everybody, you know, life is good, life is good. That's, that's not what we're talking about. You're allowed to feel pain, sorrow, sadness, struggle, all that kind of stuff as a Christian. But is Jesus your light? I mean, like, is he shining into that? Saying, you know, like, I, I illuminate, and guess what? Just like John's verse, the darkness cannot extinguish that. This is the Jesus that John is wanting to introduce them to right away, right away. And so as I look at this, just uh, two quick takeaways that, uh, that I had in here, and, and then I want to pray for you. Uh, the first is this. 
just asking yourself honestly the question, how well do I know Jesus? Like, how well do I know him? Like, in the sense, like, do I know him as logos? Do I know him as, like, the essence, the coherency of my life, as the definition is? Like, do I know him that way? The light. Do I, do I know Jesus as the light of my life? Is he the one that, that shines right in, the, right in the middle? Like, in a situation where it should be worry and concern and fear— but somehow God, Jesus' light just shines in there. And I got, I, I, it's, the situation's still hard. But man, I walk through it with confidence and trust in who he is. Like, do you see him that way? How well do you know Jesus? How well? If you would this morning say, gosh, I, I, if I was honest with you, I'm like, I don't know Jesus that way. Like, I just don't really know him that way. I'm trying to know him a little bit more academically, or I, I, I'm just still resting on that church camp experience that time, then this is my prayer for you. Just jump into this full tilt, this series. Just like, just dive in fully. What do you got to lose? To learn a little bit more about Jesus, what do you got to lose? Nothing at all, but tons, tons to gain. And so just dive in fully. Here's a second takeaway, and this kind of looks like we're taking a left turn here, but um, as I read John, and I look at this as somebody who I would love to share my faith in Jesus Christ with other people. Like, I want people, everyone around me, to know about Jesus Christ, really everywhere I go. But I recognize that probably for me to carry this platform, like, into all my settings I go to and plop it down and just start rolling into a sermon, probably will not be the most effective route to people coming to know Jesus Christ. In fact, I may alienate um, many, many people that I might otherwise have the opportunity to open up a relationship with. I want you to know, I'm so encouraged by the beginning of John chapter 1. By John saying, hey, if we want to talk strategically, here's how I did it. John talking here. I shared all this amazing stuff about who Jesus is before I even talked about Jesus. I drew people into the story about Jesus And then you're going to find at the end of of this chapter, then he introduces who he's talking about. I don't encourage to say, I want people to see what Jesus has to offer their life. I want people to see this. And how can they see it where later I say, you know who that is? That's Jesus. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus does for your life. So this morning, um, uh, for you, on whichever that takeaway hits you the best— I pray you just grab it, jump into it, and go full tilt. Because every week we're going to look at the book of John. Now, word of warning for you. Um, I can't give you everything you know, need to know about Jesus Christ in 25 or 30 minutes from the stage up here. I mean, really, in, in um, uh, trying to put together the sermon, there's just so much that's kind of left on the cutting room floor. To, or otherwise, we'd be here for five hours working through every aspect of it. Um, I want to just pray and encourage you, jump into God's word. So John chapter 1, I just read for you the first four verses. So I'm going to encourage you, jump into the next few, all the way to verse 16 this week. Just read through it. And if you read it the first time and say, hmm, I'm not quite sure I grasp everything, guess what? Just, Just read it again. Sometimes I read the instruction manuals for when I'm putting stuff together a few times before I put it together. Uh, That's okay. It's your Bible, right? Just read through it a few times and let it just work in your head and God will reveal to you. Dive fully in to this. 
My next encouragement to you is bring your Bible along or carry your Bible with you. Get into the habit of opening God's Word and interacting with God's Word. You can use your tablet, you can use your phone, all those type of things. Um, That's fine. Um, But jump into God's Word and it would be powerful. You'll see a difference. Let me pray for you in this area. Father, uh, thank you for just an introduction, an introduction to who you are that John gives us here. And Father, I recognize that, I mean, we probably could have shared this introduction for, for hours. It's just so intriguing how John talked about it. But, but the punch, Lord, the power, is that you're not just another guy. That you are an essence of life. That you're a creator, even in the name that John chooses. And Lord, that you are one that brings light. That is more powerful than the darkness that can sometimes seep into our life. And so, Father, I want to pray for anyone that's sitting here this morning and they would say, I've met Jesus. I don't know Jesus. That this would be a powerful series as they get to know you. And Lord, that we get to know who you are, what you did, what do you call us to do? How do you want to transform us? What do you want to make us into? All of those things, Lord. I pray this would be the time. And at the end, there would be none of us here that would just rest on the idea that once we met Jesus, and it was awesome, but that we don't know him. I pray, Father, we would be able to say, I I know Jesus. And though my meeting time was important as well, I know him today richer and deeper than I ever did. And that would be the most significant value in our life. So Lord, there's others in our life. Uh, There's others that that they may not know you. Lord, there's others uh, that we come in contact with that may be walking in darkness. Lord, would you just give us the opportunity Maybe it's through a kind word or or serving them or just listening to their story, but an opportunity for them to come and know Jesus and to hear about Jesus as well. Maybe it's in this setting on Sunday morning or maybe it's just through a conversation uh, wherever we might be with them. Bless us and help us in that area. Give us your wisdom. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll jump into that this week. Uh, I think it's going to be a This is going to be a great series to walk through. Hey, uh, I wanted to take time this morning. Our praise team actually is not going to come back up. I wanted to take time to kind of update you on where we're at with the building and uh, and kind of what the next eight or nine weeks we think will look like. Um, 